since brevity is the soul of wit. More of your conversation would infect my brain. Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? To speak of him as my kinsman, he's a most notable coward, an infinite and endless liar, an hourly promise breaker, the owner of no one good quality worthy your lordship's entertained. I'd beat thee, but I should infect my hand. The lady doth protest too much, methinks. The course of true love never did run smooth. I'm Aiden. I'm Lindsay. And this is the Big Spot. And we are here today to discuss the first of the big tragedies. Yeah. It's Hamlet. It's Hamlet. That's, <laughs> everybody's favorite Dane. That's right. And everyone's favorite depressed Dane. <laughs> yes. And everyone's favorite uh, memory of high school Shakespeare, I think, is you, you get handed Hamlet and it's like, yeah, this is one of the most complex, big works in the English literature. You didn't read it, though. You read Lear. No, I did Hamlet. Didn't Didn't you do Lear as no. well? No, no. Not even close. No. Huh. Again, for the 15th time on this podcast, let's recap what I did in high school. <laughs> I did Merchant of Venice in grade 10. Ah, unlike you you did then, Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, and then and I did. We both did Macbeth and, and Hamlet. Hamlet. Yes. Um, but it is. It's it's a it's a big, big thing. It is. It deals yeah. with some weighty, weighty subjects. And it's complex. It's, it's a, and a comprehensive cast. Yeah. It's, it's a, quite yeah. a lot of, There's of quite a few moving characters. pieces. Yep. Uh, um, all tightly connected and, and and some pretty deep philosophical and psychological themes that yes. come out um it's it is a, just generally a very complex play that really speaks to um it's the dawn of a new century it's we're nearing the end of the elizabethan era mm-hmm. shakespeare has gone through quite a lot of dramatic changes in his life in the last 10 years if you want to ascribe to a, a biographical reading of things but but even so as a playwright you've you've you know, you can see the the growth. Um, this is not a play that twenty five year old or twenty three year old Shakespeare would have been no. able to in fact, pull off. Yeah, reading in well, not reading. We'll get back to that. <laughs> uh, but watching it again now, after gone, having gone through all the plays and going through the as you like it mm-hmm. and uh, the histories and what have you, this is a this is a very different beast, and it does I think mark a big shift in in Shakespeare's kind of approach to uh even though it's an adapted play they're all adapted they're all adapted let's be honest he takes he takes an idea that he likes and then he turns it into his own yes exactly and uh yeah this one is is quite interesting Mm -hmm. before we get too much further though uh Lindsay, it's your turn i know a 30 second rundown i have a timer ready uh are you just gonna read the no no i'm not okay that's not a bad idea actually (laughs) you're like why haven't i considered (laughs) doing this before So, 30 seconds on the clock, Lindsay. Let me know when you're ready. I'm ready. Okay, go. So, Prince Hamlet's father has died. He figures out, as the ghost reveals to him, that his uncle, who has recently married his mother, is responsible for his father's death. So, Hamlet seeks out uh, a a revenge fantasy plan to kill his uncle and restore balance to the state of Denmark. And along the way, uh, he... Hilarity ensues... No, it doesn't ensue at all. There's Ophelia, there's Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, there's Fortinbras and Horatio. There's a whole bunch of side quests that Hamlet goes on. The main thrust is that revenge 
plot. Yeah, and you missed the most important part. Everybody dies. Oh, at the everybody end. dies at the end. Yeah. <laughs> see, that, that, see, it's either hilarity ensues or everybody dies, and I fucked it you up. Picked, you picked the wrong one. <laughs> I on picked the one. wrong one. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So that's it. Is I mean, it's it's the revenge story uh, of all time. Really, it's it's you seek revenge, but then you have these moral quandaries about is it okay to kill someone, even if yeah. it's if for just revenge. Um, it's kind of a continuation of Merchant of Venice in that way. Right. Um, but it's it's much more psychological, much more nuanced. Mm-hmm. And uh, it doesn't have the, the religious uh, Jewish questions. No, in there but it does stuff. have some religious questions. Yes. And, and I think that's something we're going to talk about a little bit uh, a little bit further on. But before we get too much further into our discussion, we should say um, we did not read this play this time around. No. Um, it is the holidays. We're coming to you live the day after Boxing Day. Yep. We're recording it. The <laughs> so day after not live day. at all. No, not live at all. Why did I say live? Like Rockefeller Center, New Year's <laughs> Eve. But no, not quite. Um, uh, and if you're listening to this, the the day it's released, it's deep Christmas. Yeah, it's that time of year when you know the days are kind of all mishmashed together. Yeah. We've been very busy. Which is weird considering this is a COVID Christmas yeah. and no one has gone anywhere, but it just feels like this, we've needed some time to decompress and Hamlet was not on the list of things <laughs> that would enable that to happen. So, but we have read it. I think I've many read it four times. times. You've read yeah, it probably three or, three or four, four times. times. And we've seen it performed how many times? Yeah. I so, count. I mean, it's, it's not, the, the point of our, of our podcast selfishly was for us to read the plays <laughs> that we haven't read. Hamlet is one that we've read many times. Yes. So, um, we Although kind of we did that part. Yes. But we did watch, uh, the, 2000 Ethan Hawke. Yes. Uh, oh, what was the director's name? Alma, Almereta? I can never remember his oh, name okay. pro- properly. But uh, yeah, it's the Ethan Hawke vehicle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but with uh, Bill Murray, uh, yeah. Sam Shepard, uh, what's Kyle her McLaughlin. name? Kyle MacLachlan. Julia Stiles. Julia Stiles. And the mother from Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. 1996 yeah. as well. Steve Zahn is in it. Steve Zahn's in it. Yeah. It's it's an all-star cast, really. Yeah. Uh, uh, who plays Fortinbras? Oh, uh, Casey, Casey Affleck, Affleck. Yeah. just as a headshot. He doesn't have any lines. Yeah, he literally does not exist in this play in this, at all. Yes, well, um, in this movie. Or in that production. Adaptation. So, uh, and that it, was, it, it was, was... It was good. It was yeah. a good uh, kind of a transmutation of the story to a yeah. modern setting with some very Gen X... Uh, Concerns. Yeah. And, and visual, uh, visualizations, yeah. I guess. Yeah, it's, it's a very... Interesting. It's of its moment. It's I think it, very it of fits 2000s. with. We we've talked a little bit on this podcast previously about the '90s resurgence in Shakespearean adaptations, and mm-hmm. this obviously, you know, was filmed in the late '90s, released yeah. in 2000. It feels more like the Titus Andronicus version that Julie Taymor did, and I think that was '99 yeah. or 2000, yeah. where it it deviates a little bit more, but in a stylistic way. It's yeah. not like Ten Things I Hate About You or yes. She's the Man or anything yeah. like that, where yeah. it's like a wholly rewritten yeah this is shakespeare language it's just everything's been cut up there's a lot of uh ethan hawk narrating the big soliloquies over top of shots of new york city or him wandering uh blockbuster video video, down the action aisle yes thinking and talking about action (laughs) which is another theme that we'll get to uh yeah but but it does present i mean it's shorter than the play I mean, if you yeah. look at the at the Kenneth Branagh version, which is over four hours yeah. long, which is a very faithful, obviously Branagh esque adaptation yeah. of a Shakespearean play, so this is only about two hours. Uh, it was almost exactly two yeah. hours. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's not. Um, I don't want to say it cut. It cuts some of the extraneous stuff. 
You'd also get some of the more famous stuff. There's no Alas York, I knew him well right? stuff. There, there's, there's no yeah. opening scene where the the guardsmen spy the Hamlet's go Hamlet's father's ghost yeah. on the ramparts. Like yeah, that you doesn't get that happen. After the whole yeah. father daughter father mother situation has already kind of been established. Right. It's it's a different approach for sure. Um, yeah. yeah, Hamlet I, is is a is a brooding art student, film student, yeah. which I think is is quite appropriate. Yeah, and we we were talking. I'm like, I think they were looking for like. 95 Ethan Hawke but they got 2000 Ethan Hawke he looks he looks about as 30 as he was he was was 30 uh what's her name Julia Stiles was 19 19. at the time so it's kind of an awkward pairing that way but at the same time it kind of works because instead of Denmark the kingdom it's the Denmark corporation so he feels like a you know a rich kid who's just been allowed to stay in art school for 12 years yeah wear his beanie yeah yeah and sulk around you'll notice I use the Americanized beanie i didn't use let's be honest and in the 90s too, with like the the yeah. braided things on the side and yeah. the pom-pom on the anyway we're talking too much <laughs> about the film let's talk about the play yeah uh so this this play famously i mean everybody knows hamlet right it was yeah. written sometime between 1599 and 1601 yep. um first and, put on by the lord chamberlain's men and it was basically a big hit yeah, right away right uh, away from the beginning right off the but back. it was based on uh an old um Norse legend or or Danish yeah, legend, Scandinavian legend. Chronicled by Saxo Grammaticus in the Gesta Danorum. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that I'm sure right. You're not. But uh, that's where Shakespeare probably didn't get it from that source. There's a, a lost Hamlet, the Ur Hamlet that yes, that's right. um, that hasn't been found, yeah. but that he probably. Uh, it was either a play or something that he watched or heard of, and then or adapted read it. Or or read it, yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. and then yeah. adapted it for himself. Yep. Um, Created as a vehicle for Richard Burbage. Absolutely. Which, I mean, I think a lot of them were yeah, done yeah, yeah. for that reason. Yeah. Uh, there's a few different versions of the play that exist. Yep. Um, I think there was a Foley or uh, the Bad Cordo, which was published in 1603, I think, and then there was a Second Cordo in 1604, and then there's a separate edition entirely in the folio. So, yeah. and the the first Cordo is called the Bad Cordo because it's it's much abridged. They think it might have been written for or published as uh, a traveling production to like ah, cut down okay. on the production time and stuff. Okay. Um, and like some of the speeches are very different, like to be or not to be. Yes. Yeah, that's a question. It's kind yeah, of yeah. like it's it's <laughs> exactly. like a much much simplified <laughs> version of that speech. Right. Um, and then yeah, but most people refer to the second quarto and the folio. Um, and I remember Lindsay when we studied this in university. Uh, mm-hmm. The uh, what was his name again? Bevington. He. Uh, just basically combined all of it into one super long play, which is, I think, also what Brana did in his adaptation. Yeah, I seem to remember that. Yeah, so it's it's like, that's where you get the four-hour long Hamlets, mm-hmm. because literally there are scenes that don't exist in all of them. In fact, I think uh, Wikipedia said there's only 200 lines that are the exact same between the folio and the and the good quarto. Wow. So even there, there's spelling changes and yeah. word changes and stuff like that. So there's literally a lot of variation, and mm-hmm. editors have a, have a tough time figuring out right. which which text you're going to go with. Um, but it also gives you that option of like saying, well, I might like this part of the folio right. version and I might want to combine it with the Cordo. So you do get different feels to every Hamlet production that you'll ever see. Which is, it is interesting because there are a lot of questions that you can talk about uh, thematically about this mm-hmm. about this play and like the motivations for certain characters. For example, watching the, the 2000 film, um, they seem to lean a little bit heavier on Gertrude. Um, you question whether or not she knew about Claudius's plot to kill yeah. Hamlet's father. Yeah. Um, 
she doesn't seem to care as much whereas there are other versions that you've watched yeah. or plays that are put on that that um make her grief more palpable because it is only a few months since his death so yeah. i mean it it she definitely is moving fast yes but it leans a little bit heavier into um the frailty thy name is woman aspect of things yeah. um so having not read uh all of these versions separately i think yeah. we've mostly focused on well, the Bevington version, which yeah, is a it's bit probably of the most recent but, one. Yeah, um, and I don't remember uh, talking about this in high school. So no, I I no, really I know. Remember. So, it, it, well, it's probably a high school teacher isn't going to dive too much into yeah, a yeah. bad quarto version of, <laughs> fair enough, or a first quarto version. Yeah, but. Uh, and then you have to remember too that a lot of those, like a bad quarto, might have been a poor remembrance of yeah. some actor or a stagehand or whatever writing yeah. down what they remembered. So, I mean, but it does lead to some interesting conversations about you know, motivations for the characters and plot points and whatnot, um, which we're going to have a lot to talk about uh, already. Uh, The last little biographical or semi-biographical note, um, a lot of people like to, it it was very popular in the Romantic era, Mm -hmm. capital R Romantic era, to um, look at this play as a kind of, I don't know how to put it, a, a, a psychological expression of, of the demons. Yeah. yeah, it's an expression of his of his feeling, feelings and fears about death. Yes, because following the his, son of his death, Hamnet. Yeah, the son of his death, the death of the his death son. of his son, the son, of, the his son death, of his death, the son of his death. Indeed. Um, <laughs> and I think that's basically just a, um, a consequence of Hamlet being one letter off from Shakespeare's son's name, Hamnet, well, which I guess were interchangeable at the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so people were like, oh, well, he must have written this play to commemorate his son's death because their yeah. names are the same, which doesn't hold water. And, and of course, you well, know... Lindsay doesn't think it holds water. Well, no, I, I really... I think <laughs> it's it's a theory that's fallen massively out of favor since the mid-20th century. There's, there's a resurgence now, I think, but yeah, there's I, much more interesting things to look at. And, and some well, yeah. uh, theorists, say that there are other plays that are much better candidates for him working through his grief. Yeah. Some of the cross-dressing plays uh, where he's... Discussing, um, yeah, the ability of daughters to, to take, take on sons, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Or or twins, Twelfth Night, where, you yeah. know, a twin dying, a girl bemoaning the death of her twin. I mean, Judith was still left, the, the yeah. twins, Hamnet and Judith. So, uh, I mean, it, it's it just seems like, you know... Maybe I'm I'm too much of a new criticism type of girl, but uh. well, I mean I think I mean it's it's one of those few. Again, this was the entire point of that movie. Uh, what was the one with Kenneth Branagh playing Shakespeare that we just saw? Oh, all is ago? true. All is true. That was yeah. the whole plot point. It's like, well, right. we know that he his son died, and his son's name was Hamnet. So therefore, let's make a whole thing about how that sure. was the defining moment in his life, and Hamlet is the defining play. Therefore, yeah. they're all connected. It, it's, it's it's a reading. It's, it's a very neat when you have co- nothing yes. else to go on. Yes, sure. And and I personally, I kind of agree with it. I think because this is such an abrupt shift in tone and focus that it, it does, and it is so obsessed with death. It is, it is all about the undiscovered country, really, mm-hmm. um, and how you send people there, and whether you do or not, and and what happens. After after they're after they're gone and all these things it's a very it's a play very preoccupied with death and i i think it's fair to assume that a death may have uh you know provided well, the impetus for and i mean it, you know uh, a, a man in, of his age he's what 36 at this yeah, time our age yeah yeah, yeah. death <laughs> wow. is approaching yeah <laughs> death is definitely approaching <laughs> um but i mean his father was 
you know, getting on an age. Mm-hmm. I think that there, it's just the time of life where you start to think about this stuff anyway, regardless of whether his son um, was the, the catalyst for this, yeah. I think is something we'll never know. It's no. fun to think about. But yep. um, without a doubt, this is a very broody play. Yeah. And it, you're right. The undiscovered country underlies it all. There are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in our philosophy. Um, to kind of keep with our our uh, latest structure that we've been using over the last few episodes, maybe the last year's worth of episodes, yeah. we've been kind of going thematically through the through the play. So we've kind of pulled out a bunch of the big themes that um, that occur. And the first one is really. Uh, Family. I think um, the theme of family obviously underpins a lot of this stuff because we've got Hamlet seeking revenge against his father's killer, who is his uncle. Yeah. Um, so it's it it's a complex. It's a very web. yeah exactly, and it's it, he also you know calls him son you know right <laughs> you know there there's there is it's a very uh, strange play that way where everything it is all about family bonds and family responsibilities but an incestuous kind of thing yes we've written that in our notes and i think that's an that's a good point because uh it in claudius's first speech he calls gertrude his sometimes sister i think right so it's like (laughs) it's it's weird because you also get the the laertes ophelia thing which we can talk about in a little bit as well and polonius's intrusion into both of his children's sex lives um Hamlet's obsession with his mother's sex life, yeah. which I mean, there's a very much a Freudian psychoanalytical yeah. way in through these yeah, conversations. We, did, we didn't mention this last episode or how Shakespeare influences yeah. stuff, but uh, one of the the claims is that uh, Freud's uh, impetus for the whole psychoanalytical <laughs> gesture was uh, Hamlet and his own life. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, maybe because this is the Oedipus complex yeah. writ, writ into a play form again. Yeah. Um, 300 so, years before yeah. the Oedipus complex yeah, had been and, named. And, or... and 1600 years after the Oedipus play had been right. Yeah, <laughs> right. done, I guess right? Right, right. So, yeah, it, it's, it, is, it is a very, very uh, strange set of connections there. And it has... That, that reveals a lot about the nature of the family mm-hmm. um, and, you know, where do where do your responsibilities lie? Where do right. your loyalties lie in this kind of tangled web of, of incest? So when, when you take it in the context of other plays that revolve around dynastic squabbles that uh, yeah. that Shakespeare has written. Your Lears and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Or, or even the history plays, mm-hmm. right, um, where Shakespeare dramatizes these real life um, instances of, of dynastic questions. Yeah. Um, how does this stack up? Uh, it's I we haven't talked about this, so I, maybe Aiden, you need a minute to think about how you're going to answer that question. I do. Yeah. <laughs> I just kind of thought of it, but but it is it is an interesting thing to think about because um, it's the son always inherits from the father, yeah. and Hamlet has been pushed aside by his uncle. That's yeah. that's a an aberration. This is um, uh, like a. a Henry the Fourth, Bolingbroke usurpation of Richard the yeah. Second, right? Yeah. Um, where a lesser relative ends up sitting on the throne. So, um, well, it's it's odd because that's that's a point that's never questioned at no. any point throughout the play. It's and maybe maybe in Denmark at the time, maybe Shakespeare's audience would have known this. Maybe this was the case: is that uh, you don't. It, the the it it wasn't inheritance like through a, the brothers first, then right. the sons afterwards, or something. I mean, like it could that. be, and, and and obviously there's a, a tradition of this being a legend in the yeah. in that culture. So it's not like this is, 
but it but it is it is an interesting thing to think about that that may be underpinning some of Hamlet's um, concerns. And I think with uh, you you really can't tease this out from the the potential dynastic concerns of the Elizabethan age yes. with a queen nearing yes. the end of her life and there being no um, well at this time it's possible James was already. Uh, Headed towards, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it, but it still, it still yeah. would have looked funny, right? Yeah. Because this is not a direct lineage. This is a lesser cousin yeah. from Scotland, of all places, yeah. who's going to come in and, and sit on the on the English throne. Yeah, and it, so and it's definitely uh, it, when people always ask, like, well, why why are all the old stories about kings and queens and stuff yeah. like that? It's because there's a this political weight to it, and and yeah. like you know the famous line from the play, "There's something rotten in the state of Denmark," right. is about this incestuous family like when the sure. when the king is the head of the country the family and you know his connection with god you know again the the whole hierarchy thing it, it has implications across that whole range and so the play kind of winds up commenting on uh the political ramifications sure. of of having an, an incestuous relationship and having these conflicting loyalties and having a murderer on the throne um and hamlet has to not only deal with uh, his own father's uh, directive to set things right, but yeah. there's a political ramification to that as well. Of, right, and that's the, what the character Fortinbras yeah, winds up exactly. becoming. Right, is exactly. like this this alternative power source um, that sits off in the wings. Interestingly, though, it's not like um, you don't get scenes of Hamlet sitting down with his counselors and mapping no. out a political strategy. That's no. not at all. This is an the interpersonal. Mo- merged. Exactly. Well, exactly. Yeah. And so, so the 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 body politic right is um is mapped onto the family Mm -hmm. and rather than it being um about what to do i it's it's the stuff has already happened and it's how the characters are reacting to it it's Mm -hmm. not about it's not a plot driven play but it, it is, is, but, but it it's is. not. It's about what the how the characters react to those plots is yeah. how the plot moves forward. It's yeah. it's it's like the opposite of sitcoms. Yes. Yes. Where right? things just happen and the characters just kind of roll with it. Here the yeah. characters stop and they think, Oh shit, I could have killed him now. <laughs> you know, like there it's just yeah, it's a different kind of approach yeah. here. Um and and related to that, I think it, I think it is interesting. There's basically two families. Right. Here. There's there's Claudius, Gertrude, and Hamlet mm-hmm. on one side, and then there's uh, Polonius, Laertes, and Ophelia on the other. Yeah. Um, everybody dies. All six of those people die. <laughs> yes. uh, but it's 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 kind of interesting as to what is the role, what what roles do they fulfill, and how good are they at them? Because right. Laertes and Hamlet are obviously the foils of. Yeah. They're both the sons. Yeah. They're both responsible for their father's death. And 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 seeking revenge. Yes, and exactly. For that. And they both ultimately achieve it, um, kind of haphazardly in in Hamlet's yeah. case. But um, then there's all the there's the women who are kind of there's the one woman in each family who's yeah. kind of stuck in the way, uh, and depending on how they're played, they basically are kind of wind up either victimized or they try and have some agency. I think Ophelia and Gertrude are very much foils as mm-hmm. well. Like where Gertrude is the queen who chose her, her brothers, right. her husband's brother. Um, and Ophelia can't choose anything. And yeah. she's explicitly told not to choose things. 
So there's there's all these conflicting things and Polonius and and Hamlet's father, but yes. also Polonius and Claudius yes. are contrasted as well. Yeah. So it's this neat little uh, comparative table, I yeah. guess, of like these characters, and and they basically all wind up in the same place, which is really interesting to me that. Uh, you know, the play didn't have to kill everybody. Uh, but it did, and that's that's noteworthy. Yeah. And yeah. and how they come about that is is something we're going to get to in our next bullet point. But but I like these questions you've got going on here. Is Gertrude a good mother to Hamlet? Is Polonius a good father to yeah. Laertes and Ophelia? I think these are, these are interesting questions from a psychological standpoint. Yeah. Um, less so, we've asked this question before about other mothers and fathers in, in the plays, but this is, is much more um, psychological. Um, I think, I don't know. Okay, Gertrude, good mother? Uh, I think it depends on how you play her. I think yeah. the, the only one who I think really stands out is Laertes um, does the does it best he's the better son because he right. listens to his father uh, and then he gets revenge for his father okay um, but he also kind of flakes out at the end uh, and he's also a good brother in the sense of looking after Ophelia he does seem to genuinely want to help her right um, he doesn't want to see her get hurt by falling in love for with, with Hamlet. Hamlet and then being hurt which is exactly what happens Um so I, yeah, I, th- I feel like Laertes is, is mostly there as a foil, but he does also represent the possibility of doing good. The fact that he's punished at the end and gets killed um, seems to be more in his role as an antagonist to uh, Hamlet. Right. I don't know. It's it. That wasn't the answer to the question I asked. So I asked about Gertrude, and you talked about Laertes. Well, because no, I, Gertrude. <laughs> I'm confused. Very simply, it depends on how you play her. Okay. Like the ver- the 2000 version. Right. She was kind of a bitch. She really didn't care about Hamlet very much. Right. She was just looking to get into Calvin McLaughlin's pants, which understandable, but you know, not not a great mother. Okay. Um, other productions I've seen, like uh, Glenn Close, uh, very concerned with with uh, what's his name's uh, Hamlet. Mel Gibson. Uh, Mel Gibson's Hamlet. She's yeah. she's. I mean, Theirs she, is the is the most incestuous yes, of them all. Yes, exactly. Which is They're, shocking because we were, that was the version we watched in high school. <laughs> it's not the version. Yeah, I think it was actually the one yeah, we watched too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, odd decision. Very but, odd decision. But yeah, so like it really depends. I think that role is is much more open to interpretation. Laertes about, has to be played a little straighter. Well, and and that yeah, because Laertes. But I still think Laertes has some odd choices as well. Like why. It bothers me as a modern feminist that, that yes. Ophelia has these two male figures, uh, her father and her brother, who are controlling her yes. sex life yeah. in such a direct way. It's mm-hmm. just, she seems like maybe a little bit older, but roughly the same age as Juliet. And yet uh, Juliet is able to, I think Ophelia takes the path that Juliet wanted to take initially right killing yeah. herself in order to get out of this yeah. situation if you read that ophelia killed herself which you couldn't read that as accidental but um and i mean the 2000 film version does make that feel very uh creepy in the case of laertes yeah, Leave schreiber's yeah. um, played it a little it's a little incestuous little close. yeah <laughs> but polonius's um or bill murray's polonius there's like consent issues there. She doesn't want to participate in anything that Polonius is yeah. suggesting, and she's silenced completely. They hardly have any dialogue between yeah. them. Yeah, she has like seven lines maybe in the whole yeah, movie. Yeah, which is not much. It, it's less than what she has in the play, but she didn't have a lot to do in the yeah. play either. That's true. So um, I think Polonius tries to be a good father, but I think he's 
pretty universally seen as a buffoonish character. Yes. I don't think Hamlet's father is much of a father either. The ghost just appears and says, revenge me, remember me. Yeah. Um, which is problematic if you, I mean, even Hamlet wonders if this is actually a ghost or the devil sent yeah. to tempt him, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it's not even, the play isn't even sure if the, the ghost is really his father. And Claudius is just, I mean. Claudius is interesting because Claudius is, he's not a father at all. Nobody views him that way. Hamlet's a grown he man. He views him He views himself, himself that, that way. way. And that's, Claudius is just a great villain in that way yeah. i think he he really i don't think he struggles i've never seen a production where like he's really coming to grips with having killed his brother yeah um even in the, his um, prayer speech that's not a hundred percent i think the the kenneth Branagh version yeah i think doesn't brian oh, blessed play hamlet's the the ghost of hamlet's yes. father I'm pretty sure in that version there's a little bit more waffling. Yeah. He's but but you're right. It's never cuz he just he just leans into it. He's yeah. just like I am king now. I am Gertrude's husband. Yeah. I am Hamlet's father. I'm going to take control of Denmark. Like Yeah. It's yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's the, I, my point for the whole family section is that this is the structure right. on which all these other themes kind of play out. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, for sure. It is. It's just these are these are this is a family. These are two families really that are in very non-traditional family dynamics. Yeah, and so that kind of uh, flavors all the other things. It's it's not just you're getting revenge for your father. You're killing your father. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's not just you're getting revenge for uh, Polonius Laertes. You have to kill. Um, the the king the future king of Denmark yeah you know like there there's there's just these other elements that that flavor everything and you know that you have to kill Laertes has to kill the man who your sister loved right you know it's not just a simple revenge there's no. there's all these other elements and so I think that that that'll just filter down into all the oh other for sure discussion points yeah hundred percent and and the the something rotten being the family yeah. I think is is yeah pretty soundly put and understood yeah right i don't think that's a question no there's nothing else rotten it's not like somebody left fish on the shore this is it's the, the hamlet family right i mean the danes who knows what their dad's <laughs> like but yeah, yeah have it be coward action versus inaction i think is the next the next one because um a lot of people like to say that hamlet's indecision is his fatal flaw i'm not 100 mm-hmm. percent sold on that argument yeah. but i do think that he he does take his sweet time coming to any decisions about what he well I think he knows what he wants to do it's just doing it is the hard part Um, contrasting that with Laertes who doesn't think before he acts but then he does and it ends up killing him anyway right like he does plan out (laughs) Hamlet's murder but it ends up killing literally everybody Everybody, who's there well not literally everybody but um, (laughs) it's it's an interesting contrast, right? Hamlet spends so much... So much of this play is in his head. Yep. It's soliloquies and monologuing and um, and his inner thoughts about yep. what he's going to do. It's a weird play that way because he does spend so much of that time thinking to himself about what he's going to do rather than acting. That's why we commented at the beginning about the choice to have Ethan Hawke walking down the action aisle of a blockbuster video because... Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's hilarious because he's thinking about what he's going to do but not actually doing it. Every time he's presented with an opportunity 
to kill Claudius or to do something. And in the film they do it, he has a couple of opportunities and and it never works out for him. Yeah. And when he does finally take action, like quick, decisive action, he accidentally kills Polonius thinking that it's Claudius. Yeah. And I think that's important because it's not his inaction. It's his in, it's his, his impulsiveness almost in that yeah, moment. Yeah, that winds up That winds him, up, yeah. yeah, doing him in. Whereas Laertes, it's, it, his rashness doesn't cause him to do anything wrong. It's yeah. his, it's almost like when you go against type, <laughs> you yeah. should just follow your gut. Yeah. If Laertes had, had been hot-blooded and, and just Claudius killed Hamlet when hadn't... They, when they were at the funeral. Exactly, right? Like, it. it might not have ended the way, it wouldn't have ended yeah. the way it ended. Yeah. Um, but because he went through all the trouble to, you know, poison the, the tip of his rapier yeah. Yeah. and poison the glass just as a backup and yeah. blah, 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 blah. Um, it was too complicated and it ended up killing more people yeah. than he intended to. So it, it almost feels like as foils, they borrow each other's traits yeah. and it leads to their downfall. Yeah. I don't know. No, I agree. I think I, I think that makes sense. I think, yeah, like we were talking about this uh, before we even watched Lindsay was this idea that, that Hamlet is the inactive character and yeah. his, his indecision is his downfall and everything. And it, it really doesn't feel accurate because especially actually in the Ethan Hawke version, mm-hmm. he, as soon as he learns from his father that uh, Tom McLaughlin killed him, he goes to his office with a gun and he's yeah, ready yeah. to shoot him. Like yeah. it, it's, and that's, that's actually an interesting scene because I think it gets to the core of Hamlet, which is not that, um, which is that when you can't take that immediate action, when you don't have that opportunity or when you don't have the impetus to, uh, or yeah, I think it's more opportunity than anything. And I think uh, another item that we talked about which gets lost a lot is that when he the big the big halfway point of the the play when he chooses not to kill claudius while claudius is praying uh we both agreed it's like that's not really into sight indecision he just wants claudius to go to hell so bad that he thinks he's that won't happen if he if he kills him now yeah um which is not indecision it's it's calculated yeah right it's it's his thinking again getting in the way if he yes he could have killed him then but then he'd have to live with the rest of his life thinking oh well now the bastard's in heaven especially because his father had said that he was killed without having confessed his sins without having cleansed his soul so his father is burning and and he even says so like he's condemned to this to you know burn away the sins of his mortal life he doesn't want to reward claudius yeah for having done that. And so, um, and that that's that's usually the scene where um, if Claudius is going to have any kind of remorse, that's where it's played. Whether it's played straight or not is, yeah. is up to the director and the actor. But um, but yeah, it is it is noteworthy, I think, that he he's not, it's not in action because he's nervous or in action because he doesn't know what to do. He knows exactly what he wants to do. It's just... Yeah. What he wants to do is wait. Yeah, it's it's an well, yeah, interesting... and, and what he wants to do is murder, and that that does cause him to think sure. about death and murder and and revenge and all these things a lot. But yeah. it's it's not necessarily in action so much as it is Shakespeare spreading out. What you know, I think most characters who we see seeking revenge throughout Shakespeare, they have a speech where they're like, "Is this the right thing? Is can sure. I do this? Is like I'm thinking of the Winter's Tale right before he punishes yeah. his wife for ostensibly sleeping with his brother. Yeah, there's there's this speech where he really goes into like, I I, I don't trust her. I, I'm so scared, but it's is, but is this I know the it's right the wrong thing. thing. To do? And he questions yeah. it, right? Yeah, and 
this play is just so obsessed with death that it's not you can't do it in a single monologue it's going to have two or three different perspectives about what it means well and i think that i read a really interesting um paper that uh, we'll link in our description Mm -hmm. um all about the the i think it's called the myth of memory hamlet and the myth of memory yeah so it's it's about how uh, memory plays into hamlet's decision to Mm. wait yeah because for Hamlet, the issue is not that his father is dead. It's that people are forgetting him mm. or the, the fear that people will forget him. And that is spurred on by the ghost, the ghost that says, remember me. Yeah. And whether Hamlet is already suicidal and thinking about this stuff before his father's ghost appears to him is up for debate. I think the film version that we watched does seem to suggest that he's been thinking about this a lot. Um, it could be that this was all brought on by his father's death a couple of months prior. But either way, um, the fact that death ends life and life is the only thing that allows you to live in people's minds Mm -hmm. is what Hamlet has so much trouble with. He's not... It is about revenge, absolutely. But there's this other part of it that's like he doesn't want his father to be forgotten. He doesn't want himself to be forgotten. And, and the gravedigger scene is, is really a key moment for that because all of these skulls that have been unearthed look the same. Mm-hmm. There's nothing distinguishing them from one another. So all of the features that we have disappear and, and yeah. we become, he, he brings it up uh, saying that Alexander the Great yeah. can disintegrate into dust and stop up a, a wine cask or a yeah. beer cask or something, right? Uh, and and Yorick, his his beloved jester, is reduced to a skull. Like there's no there's nothing inherent in the in this skull that makes it Yorick. It could have been anybody's skull that he pulled up. But because he suddenly holds this skull and talks about it like he's remembering the yes. lips that used yeah. to hang here and the yeah. times he would sit on his back, then all of a sudden that skull has aliveness to it, yeah. right? And Alexander the Great, in being used to stop up an alcohol vessel yeah. or a wall or whatever it is that they use it. Don't they use the word bunghole? I don't remember that. I think it is in this play. See, we should have read the play. This has been funny. <laughs> um, uh, there's like, it's it's in the recognition of yeah. the, the end of life yeah. that those characters have more meaning. Yeah. Um, and I think that's something that Hamlet... He, he conflates past and present. It's why he can't understand. I, I think uh, Ophelia says it's been twice two months yeah. since his father's death, which I'm assuming means that's been four months. Yes. Is that correct? I, My I, math I, is Your right. math checks out, yeah. Um, but it doesn't matter that, uh, that it's been four months. It feels like it's happening right now because he's living in his memories, yeah. because he's trying to keep his, his father's memory alive. Yeah. And that that's why he's thinking and talking about it he it's what we all do right you talk mm-hmm. about the dead in order to keep them alive we yeah. do it at funerals we do it on the anniversaries of deaths and and whatnot right um so i don't think it's a fatal flaw i think it's it's saying something about hamlet's character and it's yeah. saying something about the nature of of humanity or human beings desire to remember yeah yeah Right. I think I think that ties in to like that. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good origin story for his indecision. You know, <laughs> sure. it's it's not just 
um, him being a whiny kid. Or, Which you can absolutely play it. Yeah, that way. exactly, exactly. But I feel like there that does a bit of a disservice to yeah. to the 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 depth of yeah the yeah. depth and the, the breadth of where this is all coming from and the fact that Shakespeare layered it so deeply with sure. all these elements of yeah the past and um, the future you know the mm-hmm. undiscovered country again it's mm-hmm. like what what comes after this this death uh, for the soul or for the experience or for the consciousness or what dreams whatever. may come exactly they, should these, give us pause yeah th- this yeah. is it, 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 it it's all these elements about death that uh, Shakespeare ruminates on here yeah. and that that's what gives the role so much uh, poignancy yeah and, and, and room for interpretation sure that, that you can have actually I thought the Ethan Hawke that was probably one of the better parts of it was the fact that sure. he really seemed to be struggling with this um, to a far greater extent than mm-hmm. some of the stage adaptations we, I've seen where yeah. you know it's 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 really just focused on the the big speeches well yeah I mean it's it's, it's hard I, to escape those I right? read uh, I'm I think it was the essay that was included in the folder edition, but it might have been somewhere else. I'll look it up and I'll put the correct essay in the description. (laughs) But they said that that's, and I believe it, it must be the hardest speech for any Shakespearean actor to do because a modern audience, everybody knows to be or not to be, right? We all know at least the beginning of it. We know what it's about. We know he's contemplating suicide. We know what this is, the core of this is. So an actor can't walk into this, this speech um, without the weight of 400 years of this uh, meaning sitting on him, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So it's, um, I think of, I, I watched the National Theater version of uh, Hamlet with Benedict Cumberbatch a few years ago. Oh, yeah, it was yeah, like a, yeah. in the movie theater, you could yeah. buy tickets. Obviously, I wasn't in London for yeah. it, but, um, and uh, and I got that sense there too. I was disappointed. I was like, because I like Benedict Cumberbatch as an actor, but it just it falls flat if if it's not it, – it, it was almost like there was too much – I was expecting too much and my yeah. expectations well, were not met. Exactly. And so, yeah, yeah you, you almost have to set it in a blockbuster video well, in order to shake it up a bit, right? Exactly, or, and, and they even – kind of disintegrated the speech because they, yeah. they they brought in like a clip of a, a Buddhist monk kind of discussing what it means to be like what is being right you know they even broke it down further yeah. uh, as like a preamble to it so you kind of have this like sub questioning going on that then yeah. uh, interrupts your, your interpretation of the speech I thought that was really a, a really clever touch for that film yeah. to to like dissuade that to say like oh no here's Here's something else, something that's not in the, the text to mm-hmm. to shake up your your understanding of the speech that's coming. Um, yeah, so I think there there's that again. It's it's all kind of funneling towards this death thing and all the uh, avenues of it. And like the the memory is is a really big one for and sure. And the uh, the idea that death is the great equalizer, I think, is also very much um, on Hamlet's mind yeah. and probably on Shakespeare's mind if he's writing it for Hamlet because. Again, if everybody is the same after death, if we all have to die, what's the point of of any of this? Yeah. Right. Yep. And it leads it's a pretty deep existential question. Mm-hmm. Right. If Alexander the Great and York are equals in death. Yes. I mean, what what difference does anything make? Yeah. And we're going to come back to that, I think, because language, I think also mimicry uh, i think was a, a theme that you wanted to talk about as well Aiden, yep. a little bit later on but we're moving on to revenge and mortality well we kind of talked a little bit about mortality but yeah. i think the, well, the focus yeah. on revenge now is maybe where you want to take it next 
Yeah, and I think it's a good way of kind of approaching that is is thinking about how Hamlet's view of revenge kind of shifts over the course of the play mm. um, as kind of like a moral imperative, like my, my dad told me to yeah. do it, so I'm going to do it, Yeah. Uh, to this kind of like, I have the weight of Claudius's death on my hands if I if I do it, um, to... Polonius's death is also exactly, like the yeah. meaning of this, right? Yeah, yeah. It just, it becomes... It moves from something that is abstract to something that has real consequence, I feel, for for Hamlet's character. Um, ah, okay. And, and that's kind of... Um, so his his initial desire to kill Claudius is an abstract desire, but then once things start to progress, it becomes yeah. more real? Okay. And especially considering yeah, he... Uh, yeah, cause, because he's he's already murdered somebody right. in, in the in the form of Polonius. And, and it didn't... It at once didn't affect him as much as he thought it would, and it it affected him more because right. he's, I mean, he that's we'll get to madness in a second, sure. but that's that's the moment when he sees the ghost that Gertrude can't see, right? Which is one of the big the big indicators, right? Um, so I, I feel like it's the revenge becomes less important than any reckoning with death. Um, and then it returns at the end to say, yes, but I still need the revenge because this man is is evil. I, th- I feel like right. the, if Hamlet had gone and killed, uh, Pol- not Polonius, sorry, Claudius, uh, Claudius in... Uh, the church? No, no, in the first or, scene, yeah, in the okay. first act. Like, yeah. he gets the message from him and goes, all right, Fine, get in a gat and go and kill the guy. <laughs> like, I feel like, first of all, it's a totally different play, but I feel like he's not yet ready to... Uh, actually engage with that action yet. he hasn't grappled enough with yeah with it, any of this yeah and i feel like part of that is just the play shakespeare playing around with it but i think a lot of it is is hamlet's character of this sensitive kind of thoughtful person mm-hmm. who has to see all the angles for it in order to to kind of really conduct revenge the way it's it should be done does that make any sense? Conduct revenge the way it should be done is yeah. an interesting way to put it because it's like it's it almost feels like there's a proper way to be vengeful. Yeah. I think Shakespeare is kind of hinting at that. I don't think what Hamlet does is that. Yeah, maybe in not. In any way, shape, or form. Because <laughs> like the, the revenge that he gets is like an accidental, Claudius accidentally is like a bystander who gets yeah. nicked by this. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's not it's not purposeful. Yeah. He was after Laertes. Laertes and Hamlet were going at each other, yeah. right? Is that a, um, a satisfying end? I think Hamlet would think not. I think yeah. Shakespeare would think not. I think the futility of revenge is what is being kind of called upon by having Hamlet spend so much of the play wondering about what it actually means to seek revenge and what it means to die and what it means to be the one that brings somebody to death yeah. to kill someone yeah. um, and then to have that ve- that revenge happen in such a haphazard way yeah. really is I keep using the word noteworthy, but it is noteworthy, right? <laughs> yeah, and, and Laertes as, as the foil to that is, right. is also interesting because he doesn't have any of that introspection. He doesn't no. have any of it. He's just like, yeah, I want to kill Hamlet. You want to do it this way? Let's Hamlet. do it. Hamlet. 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 Yeah. yeah. That's it. And it's like, okay. <laughs> uh, it, and it's funny because, I mean, Laertes is kind of this character who um, he's kind of, you can play him as a really dumb guy. I like think. I just did? Yeah, exactly. Like, I think there's a lot of that because, like, 
you you could read Polonius's speech. I mean, Polonius's advice to him going back to school is like, you know, to thine own self be true. true. <laughs> it's a bunch of aphorisms. It's a bunch yeah. of stupid shit, right? Yeah. And and most people play that up as uh, Polonius is the stupid one yes. who doesn't understand that his son obviously gets all this. Right. But you could also be Laertes is like, oh yeah, I, that's you know, a good I idea. Never, I never thought, I never of, thought that. of that. Being myself true, like there's there's this whole. <laughs> That you could view Laertes this way and have Hamlet. That even just furthers Hamlet's foil. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't quite work, and I've never seen a production production no. go that route. But it is an opportunity, I think. Um, well, especially if you want to really um, draw a distinction between Hamlet's thoughtfulness and Laertes' impulsiveness. I yeah. think if that's the the distinction you want to make between these two, which is kind of what the play leads you to believe. Yeah. Then, then it does seem to to further that along because an end result of not being thoughtful is being dumb. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's kind of a given. So, I could see it. I just don't think anybody's done it. But that would be an interesting way to look at that those characters and yeah and, and portray them. Yeah. So, I mean, so yeah. his his revenge, Laertes' revenge, is like we've said, more rageful and more. Um, impulsive mm-hmm. whereas uh, hamlet's is much more um introspective and and thoughtful um i do i wonder if laertes revenge is what he hoped it would be i think that if if we think hamlet's revenge is not it does that mean that laertes is also not or is it does it matter maybe that's a more important uh, question. That's, that's 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 just more questions Lindsay. it is there's You're no right. answers to this stuff i don't like it To be or not to be, that is the question. We can't not talk about Hamlet's suicidal tendencies, though. I think that's something that um, I'm not sure I like putting it next to madness because I don't think you have to be uh, mad to commit suicide i don't think that's a distinction that we want to draw here but um it does seem like hamlet's uh suicidalness mm-hmm. is that a word i think so um you you just you can't not talk about it yeah right um and can i just admit something yeah Lindsay? for uh, sure the first time i read this first couple of productions never knew that hamlet was suicidal really yeah Honestly, I I was like, oh, yeah, this too solid flesh should melt was like, I don't want to deal with the solidity of these decisions anymore. Not so much that he wanted to die. Like, I've always kind of kind of thought of it that way is like Hamlet's just avoiding the the tough decisions because they they weigh on him so much. And and he has so much thought put into it. And that, I think, is is a... um a fairly common way to like an elementary way to read it i think that's how not to slag off high school english teachers but i think it's an easy way to read the play mm-hmm. right so that might be a symptom of yeah. of just yeah. you know the the way we teach shakespeare in in schools um but now obviously you read to be or not to be and it's hard not to read that as uh, a yeah. death wish almost well, it, or, or at least a pontification yeah it's it's i I think to be or not to be works so well because it's not just about uh his own death Mm -hmm. and suicide but it's also about claudius's death and right what comes for him i think it's it's like this moment of (laughs) bizarre empathy of like 
you know, what happens to me, but also what happens to him? Nobody knows. Well, and, what and, does this undiscovered country what, look what like? What happens to all of us? Yeah. It's a very universal speech. Yes. Right. And, yeah. And and it's and so I think I maybe I think as a reader, I've always just been like, yeah, he's thinking about the grand universal thing. thing yeah. And it's not so much about his own self. And I, again, I think this is one of those things that makes the, the role so challenging and so hard to like um, to stage in a way that that's mm-hmm. that challenges fresh. Or- yeah. Yeah. Or provides that that interpretation of, you know, you could have it with a gun to his head, I guess, giving yeah. the whole speech. And it's like okay then it's about suicide and sure it could be with him with a picture of claudius stabbing yep. it or something and it's like okay it's about murder it, you know it's it's to do it justice in a in a kind of nuanced way is really really difficult well and it could also just be a fun intellectual exercise for someone of of hamlet's you know scholarly stature yeah. where he's just like hmm i wonder what happens like like the <laughs> yeah. way people do when they sit around in the pub too long and they start <laughs> or in philosophy 102 or whatever right exactly yeah. like what comes next it's yeah. it could just be that kind of simple question as well on the flip side right it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be this hugely dramatic moment yep. um and uh and so yeah i think that's it, it but it does make it really hard to to pin it down and like as you said stage it in a way that makes it feel new or or um insightful in some way yeah Uh, most productions that i've seen have it you know fairly clear-cut i'm i want to die yeah and so i mean i think that's the the common answer is that that's how people are staging it yeah um i think the 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 idea that maybe because Hamlet is not the only one who who thinks about mm-hmm. death, right? Ophelia is is pretty, yeah. um, a pretty bold. Well, is it a bold counterpoint to that? I think I think her death. It depends on if you read it as suicide or accidental, um, and I think most productions yeah. do play it off as her um, committing suicide after Polonius's death, um, because of the scene with the flowers. Mm-hmm. Where she's talking about flowers that you would call, you know, this this whole idea that flowers have meaning and flowers are associated with funerals and graves. Um, she does have uh, flowers for remembrance that she's handing mm-hmm. out. Um, so I think that's a fairly um, common interpretation that she's she is suicidal as well. Yeah. But how is her suicidal tendency different than Hamlet's if we read that them both as being suicidal? Yeah, I, I'd say it, it's an interesting question. I think the I think the madness aspect seeps yeah. into this as well because Ophelia clearly kind of goes mad. Yeah. Um, at least the play will read it that way generally yeah. because she's ranting and raving and talking about the flowers and stuff. Yeah. Um, but uh, it it's her death seems like it's outside of her control i think is is kind of like yeah. it's it's her everything suic- is outside of her yeah, exactly control. yeah and that's kind of like the difference is that hamlet still has the agency through to the very end to, to kind decide of, his to fate decide his in fate. a way yeah and whereas, whereas ophelia doesn't ophelia's lost it. Yeah. yeah and i feel like that's that's kind of the big uh counterpoint in terms of which is funny because suicide is ultimately yes. the act of yes. self-control over your own life which right? again harkens back to juliet which we we said in our mm-hmm. episode that that's the one active agency that Juliet has yeah. open to end, her at the end yeah. is to kill herself. Yeah. Fake her death first and then actually go through with it. Um, 
like she's backed herself into such a corner, whereas Ophelia has been backed into a corner. She is very much acted upon. Yeah. So I do, as much as I hate the idea that Ophelia is dead at the end, because I really like Ophelia and I feel bad for Ophelia. Like yeah. It's one of those characters yeah. I have immense sympathy for. Um, it's appropriate that she is the one to kill herself, mm-hmm. if that's how it's staged. Um, but it is possible to read it as, as an accidental thing, which I think also just sits poorly with me because it's another thing that Ophelia has outside of her control. Yeah. If she slips and falls into the river or whatever, right? Yeah. It just doesn't Yeah. Doesn't work for me. Um, are there any other characters who have um, death on the mind? Yeah, I mean... Aside from Hamlet's father's ghost yeah well i i think it's it is interesting there's a there's kind of a throwaway section at the start where claudius kind of is berating hamlet for grieving too long and stuff there's there's that kind of sense of like death as an inevitability you just got to accept it and move on and that's kind of what gertrude and claudius as a pair kind of embody is is actually probably the healthiest you know this happens this happens. we just have to accept it and move on yeah. throw away your mourning weeds yes it's, you get married again mourned along <laughs> you know like enough, right yeah, yeah and and it's it's interesting that the they're they're the kind of villains especially claudius obviously um but they do have kind of this this healthy appreciation of death um as something that happens and that you and you and do hamlet accept. doesn't because as we said there's that that aspect of memory that um james hammersmith mentions in the that essay that i've posted um but he is also a young man like i mean that's Mm -hmm. something that uh a lot of productions sort of tend to overlook i think in casting actors in their 30s i think that's too old for hamlet yes i don't know how old i want hamlet to be but i think he's a university student i want him to be in his mid-20s at the at the the latest even early 20s is kind of well yeah but i mean it's pushing it at 25 you know what i mean like i think he's he needs to be a little bit younger and that's a time that i i mean we've we talked about it with romeo and juliet shakespeare does have this interesting way of of writing and speaking about young people Mm -hmm. and so having a character lose his father and not be able to deal with it is a pretty relatable thing even if he isn't a young man i think it's still relatable um grief makes you do strange things and in this case i don't think it's un uh called for that hamlet would continue to grieve his father's death especially after finding out that he was murdered yeah and leaving aside entirely this whole idea of of primogeniture and and who inherits the throne and is claudius are claudius and gertrude going to have another child who's going to completely supplant hamlet yeah. on the throne like it's conceivable literally and figuratively <laughs> we don't know how old gertrude is yeah. but i mean it's possible right yeah. so i mean these are all intense questions that hamlet is dealing with claudius isn't claudius committed that that (laughs) crime yeah and he's kind of washed his hands of it it's it's hamlet who brings that back out in him by showing him his quote-unquote mousetrap right the 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 play within a play that we haven't even touched on yet but we'll get to it i think in this uh in this next scene about or then sorry in the next section theme about madness yeah let's talk about that yeah um so hamlet pretends to go crazy or perhaps does go crazy yeah there, so this we is the this term is crazy that's maybe not yeah PC, yeah well, but. And plus it's not 
what he would have called it. They called no, it madness. Or, yeah, yeah. And yeah, they called it, uh, he's going to put on an antic disposition, yes. I think, in, when he's warning uh, Horatio what his plans are. Right. Um, so there is that element of he's early on, he's going to say, I'm going to do some some wacko stuff just to throw everyone off the scent. So in case if I do maybe it's maybe it's because of that like if I, I, i'm gonna if encyclopedia I, brown this i have to like throw people off yeah. so that i can do my investigation exactly so i mean there's there's that element um then there's the possibility that he really does go crazy right um and there is uh, the most obvious cited often cited uh example of that is the scene in uh, gertrude's chamber when right. he's killed polonius uh, and all of a sudden he sees the ghost and Gertrude does not see the ghost. Right. Um, which is a pretty clear indication that he's seeing things at least. Right. Um, whether it's uh, madness or just a temporary... Psychosis of yeah, some sort. Yeah, of some sort. A or, break. Yeah, or if it's um, he was drinking. <laughs> you know, or like, if Gertrude does see it and doesn't. Yes. Which is... Which is a, also an opportunity. Fourth oppor- yeah, fourth yeah. option. Yeah, which is... Which, again, I've never seen a production actually no, do it I that have. way. But, which oh, one was did? it? I, uh, it might have been. Did David Tennant do a version? Did he play Hamlet? Yeah, we watched it. I feel like it was the version with David Tennant, but it, yeah. I might be confusing it with the Kenneth Branagh version. But I would have to rewatch the okay. Kenneth Branagh version okay. to know that, and I don't have four hours but, to spare right now. So, <laughs> well, but it, I do think there yeah. was one where it's like she she seems to react to it in a way that and suggests, then she's like, no, there's nothing there because right. I don't want to see it. Exactly, kind of yeah, and yeah. that I think is a, is an interesting one. It's not often done yeah yeah she usually just doesn't see it which yeah. which does, which does suggest, point towards yeah. yes perhaps some some sort of from some form of psychosis mental or, or mental break, or break. Yeah, yeah exactly so i think uh that's that's kind of the the regular kind of reading um but i think it's it's also interesting to compare that with uh ophelia's because yeah. You know, it was her. Hers is a verifiable madness. Most of the time, her suicide is played as as a result of either she killed herself or she tripped and fell or, or yeah. hurt herself in some way due to her mental stress. The, the grief stuff. that she's feeling. Yeah, they both have lost a father yeah. under violent circumstances. Yes, um, I don't know if Ophelia knows that Hamlet was responsible. I don't think that ha- that ever comes out for her. Yeah, I don't know if anybody um, told her. They don't, yeah, yeah. Like it's, it's she never, never mentions it in any mm-hmm. of the versions I can remember. Uh, but it certainly happens after Hamlet has told her to get, get thee to a nunnery, yes. uh, to, to completely forget about him and and not be a breeder of sinners and all yeah. that stuff. So, I mean, she's she's been pushed to the brink by the man that she loves. Yeah. Uh, who also has killed her father. Whether she knows that or not, it's, it's very clear that her... Uh, mental break and Hamlet's mental break are the cause of they're caused by the same yeah, thing the death yeah. of a father yeah. and they happen kind of concurrently depending on how you read Hamlet's madness yeah. right yeah. whether you think he's mad from the beginning or whether you think his madness comes about as a result of play acting and the ripple effects of that yeah. coming out yeah. uh, and I think I think it's also important to note that they both they're both pinned. Uh, their 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 illnesses are pinned on the lovesickness, yeah, as well, yeah, um, for each other, yeah, uh, at various times. And I think it's it's really interesting then to to kind of segue from that into uh, this whole sex and yeah. gender kind of roles because um, it's not a play that's 
super obsessed with sex, but you know, at the same <laughs> Are you time, kidding? It's entirely it, obsessed, it is with, obsessed sex. with sex. <laughs> Especially uh, female sexuality. Yes. Hamlet is absolutely obsessed with uh, fidelity and, uh, you know, wantonness yeah and, and desire and, and stuff yeah. that that women have and uh, like he's almost more preoccupied with how often his mother is sleeping with claudius yes than he is killing claudius for the death yeah of his or father. even yeah it's not even about right? his father's death it's about no. his mother's in the unseemly bed yeah. or whatever the line is yeah, right yeah. like it's it's women's sexuality has always been uh a, a bugaboo you know it's yeah. always been something that that men have tried to control and that has scared the hell out of them which is why they want to control it yeah. so hamlet i think when nobody wants to think about their parents getting it on yeah. but i i think hamlet was comfortable at least in the knowledge that that was okay yes now he has a new father who that that relationship shouldn't happen even before he knows that claudius killed his father yes he, he is not okay with a new father stooping his mother yeah. do you know what i mean yeah. so and and the fact that he's m- murdered his father is almost an afterthought yeah. it's it's more about how many times have you slept together in this bed how yeah. many times have you desecrated your marriage bed and that is that is the bigger issue for yeah. for hamlet by far that carries over into conversations that people have with ophelia laertes polonius and hamlet all talk to ophelia about her sexuality yeah. and how she should um, just protect it protect and, it yeah. restrain yourself don't let hamlet nearby your chaste treasure or whatever yeah. it was called that laertes calls it yeah. um is is that it's even a topic up for discussion is offensive but yeah, i think today, today yeah. to me but it's something that um, I think leads to Ophelia's and Gertrude's uh, sidelining, which is why there. Yeah. To just briefly come back to the madness question, you have a question in here: How is madness treated by, in the play by different characters? Gertrude is the only one who seems affected. Hamlet does to an extent because he comes across Ophelia's grave in the yeah, cemetery, yeah, yeah. Um, and she's not able to be buried in a, with proper Christian rites because yeah. she committed suicide, which is a separate thing we'll talk about in a minute. But um, Gertrude is the one who comes in to tell Laertes that, that she's dead. And in every production that I've ever watched, she is overcome. It's like that is the moment. If she wasn't convinced by Hamlet's pleading with her after killing Polonius... It's then that she's like, oh, my God, Ophelia is dead now as a result of whatever is happening here. Um, There's almost like a feminine connection or something, whether it's mother to daughter. It's the only there. There are no other mothers in the play and and there's no no daughter interaction. So, I mean, Gertrude and Ophelia do seem to have a kind of mother daughter connection. And because they're the only two women in the play. To have one of them suddenly die, it, it does, uh, um, it makes decisions that Gertrude makes later on more poignant, in my opinion, because 
especially in the 2000 version where Hamlet's mother intentionally drinks the poison rather than having it be accidental. It's almost like she is emboldened by Ophelia's actions and decides this is the way out as well. Um, whether you think that's cowardly or not is an entirely different conversation. But, but I do think that um, Ophelia's madness, which is driven about by the control of her person, mm-hmm. which is all wrapped up in her sex and gender, yeah. right? And her sexuality um, is what drives Gertrude to... There's a connection there. It's it's impossible for her to escape it once Ophelia is dead. Yeah, well, I think they're, they're also both uh, the objects of uh, yes. Hamlet's obsession. Because yes. they are the... They're the two sexual beings in the play. Yeah. Um, and that that's kind of the interesting thing is that Hamlet's really kind of asexual. He is. You know, even, yeah. though he, even in the scenes where he ostensibly is like wooing uh, Ophelia, mm-hmm. it's very kind of like... He doesn't seem interested in, doesn't seem, yeah. in women. Yeah, or except in for sex. The, the the exception is the you know what a wonderful thing to lie between maidens' legs right. in the but in that's in during his playing he's crazy playing, kind exactly. of phase. Yeah, and it's it's um he's there thinking of his mother like that's how the yeah. kind of Donna one plays it if I yes. remember correctly is like he's kind of looking at her while he's talking to Ophelia and stuff. So like there's this this these combination of factors of like. Uh, men, except for even even Claudius, is not really he's not usually portrayed. For, yeah, yeah, like, he's, yeah. It's his bed too. Well, you know the usurped bed, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, yeah. But he's it takes two to tango. Yeah. But it's all it's only Gertrude because gets, it's women who are the ones who bear the brunt of sexual infidelity and mm-hmm. sexual um, uh, wrongdoing. I guess. Yeah, yeah. In a way, it's it's very much. Um, it's about betrayal and and yeah. control and yeah. yeah and the women are you know denied that so yeah they are controlled yeah yeah acted upon characters always and just one last thing on that topic i think um do you think the play challenges that in any way are there any other characters or any other mentions or are we supposed to view hamlet's obsession with this as another sign of his psychosis or of his inability to be healthy and move on. Like, like it, it, I, yeah. I don't think you get the sense that Hamlet's like a really great protagonist in the sense of like, you want to cheer for him. You're, you're, he's a great protagonist in that he has a lot of depth and feeling and emotion and, sure. and thought, but he's not necessarily someone you're like, yeah, this is a good guy making the right decisions. Right. It's very much like, he's well, really obsessed with his mom's bed. Like, yeah. I, I wonder if that was even the, the thinking in, in Elizabeth. Yeah, times, because that, that like, does seem to, to point to a, a much more modern psychoanalytical viewpoint, which it's impossible for us to get away from because it's been the, yeah. the driving thrust of well, any that's how we think about characters criticism. and stuff, right? Exactly, yeah. for yeah. the last hundred years. So yeah. um, I, I, I think that a, a contemporary audience of Shakespeare's would have viewed Hamlet's um, – uh, obsession as something that was maybe not noble or anything, but at least it was understandable. Yeah. And I, I, I have nothing to base that on, <laughs> other than well, other portrayals other, of, of. Well, and all the other plays where you know female infidelity is yeah. a big thing, much to do about nothing, Othello, and, and uh, Mary Wives of Windsor. Yeah. All these ones where the men are obsessed with yeah. female fidelity. Yeah, and and I mean new. we know as a as a culture as a society we've. We, we've been afraid of female sexuality. Yeah, so this that, yeah. that that's something that Hamlet is showing in great 
with great aplomb right yeah. now is his his ability to control his mother and his girlfriend's sexual drives or his his desire for that anyway mm-hmm. um the fact that that the men are never called out for what they do i mean hamlet kind of is i mean you get the sense that polonius is is not too pleased with the potential deflowering of his daughter by yeah. this crazy prince of denmark yeah um but it's not about Hamlet doing anything. It's about Ophelia yeah. doing something. So it's, yeah, I think his, Hamlet's obsession is just, I think, a mirror held up to the society at the time. Yeah. And it's hard for us to read into anything else about that because of Freud. Thanks, Siggy. Poor Yorick. I knew him, Horatio. A fellow of infinite jest, of most excellent fancy. Uh, we wanted to do a couple quick hits here of, of other themes that, like, uh, they're they're key to the play, but they're not as central as the ones that we've already talked mm-hmm. about, obviously. Um, one is art and mimicry. Yeah. Uh, the You know, there's obviously the play within the play is a big uh, plot point. Um, Shakespeare loves that shit. He does. He loves that shit. <laughs> he does. And, uh, but it's also, like you were mentioning, uh, the way language is talking about memory and, and remembering people yeah. and the facsimile, you know, they have the skull. This was York, but it's not York because York's dead, you know? Well, like, and it's the same thing with lines that are delivered in, in a play or yeah. or a play within a play. It's not the actual event. It's a facsimile of yeah. that event. And and that's what um, Hamlet clings to. I think it's important that he he's the one who calls the players in to put on this mask to put on this play um because he's trying to extend the memory of this horrible event that in his mind took place simultaneously with this moment yeah um he's trying to create that feeling in everybody else and gets that reaction from claudius um in the sense of you know eliciting that guilt that that he hopes his uncle feels for killing his father um but it is all done through this kind of uh, artifice. Yeah, language yeah. is not something that is. It's not a natural thing. It's yeah. it's something, and I feel like that Shakespeare playing with it a little bit too, right? And very aware of the fact that he, as he always is when he does a play within a play, there's a reason for it, and yeah. I think that it's it's kind of neat to think about it that way. That this is a, a like a paltry human way of representing things mm-hmm. which is again really funny to think about the preeminent playwright yeah. of the english well, language and putting on the play itself is right? just yeah, adds that layer yeah but, for sure. uh, um there's also the supernatural and religion Lindsay yeah. kind of mentioned this like the religious aspects are definitely there um but it's a surprisingly unchristian play yeah that was my question for you is this a christian play you yeah. answered it you yeah. think it's not a christian well i mean play. it's I mean, yes, there's the there's the scene in the church where he spares Claudius sure. because he wants him to avoid going to heaven. Yeah. Uh, there's Claudius talking about how his sins are being burned off in purgatory or yeah. wherever he is. There's um, definitely some some theological yeah, underpinnings there. Yeah, ex- it feels, it, to uh, draw a comparison that nobody asked for, uh, Abraham, <laughs> I'm listening to the Abraham Lincoln uh, biography right now, and he was a very kind of irreligious man. I, I 
think if he was alive today, he'd definitely be an atheist. But at the time, you obviously couldn't be in hold office. He was, so he kind of passed himself off as kind of like, I don't belong to any church. Right. Um, I'm kind of a deist. Right. Uh, you know, the the world is set in motion and, and whatever is going to happen the is going to happen. The watchmaker is gone. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and I feel like that's kind of the approach that the play has. Maybe yeah, not yeah. Shakespeare. I don't think, I think Shakespeare could do some very religious stuff as well. But he, he often chose not to. And I think it, avoiding it in this play is primarily because... Um, it's kind of like a cultural background. It's yeah. you can't murder a guy when he's praying, uh, who he's praying to, and what he's saying in that prayer, and all those things don't matter because right. it's the prayer itself that's important. Right. Um, whether or not you're Catholic or Protestant or whatever it is, right? Uh, Muslim, even probably he wouldn't care because you you can't kill him then. Yeah. It's it's the cultural baggage of of a of yeah. religion that that kind of seeps like a into play. Cultural kind of yes. Yeah. It's it's not tied to any single understanding of Christianity. Aside from the fact that Ophelia is not allowed to be given a Christian burial, that is mentioned yes, in the play. That too, yeah. But that, again, I think is just a consequence of yes. being written for a Christian audience. Yes. And I think there is some anxiety, too, um, because this is written 1600, you're a couple hundred years into the Protestant Reformation. Um, so there's there's a bit, and you're 40-odd you're years away from a Puritan yeah, overthrow rural, yeah, of your government. Yeah. So I think that there is there is a bit of anxiety there about religion. It's hard to talk about Shakespeare's religion and, and to yeah. read that biographically, but, um, but it does seem like, even in the fact that you've got one king being usurped or supplanted by another, I mean, there's... Uh, it, it you could maybe read it allegorically as like a a Catholic church being supplanted by a Protestant church, and we're going to rebel yeah. against that, right? Yeah, which is maybe a stretch, it's a stretch but it's but it's but still yeah. kind of um, there's 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 certainly something, but it's not it's not an overtly Christian play. This is not you know well, Saint Thomas Becket or yeah, yeah, you yeah, know yeah. Or, or anything like that. Right? And, and and I think the supernatural elements. Um, of the ghost, essentially, is yeah. the only real supernatural element that exists. Um, is is kind of the fact that it, it becomes kind of a psychological thing as well. Yeah. Uh, especially in that Gertrude scene is is interesting in that um, is it is it a psychological need for these characters to see the former king and their father because well, it's not just Hamlet who sees no, him. No, that's but, exactly it. There's his friends, some guards. They they all see. But is it an expression of like the political angst of the time? Like yeah. you can read it that way, right? And so the supernatural is is kind of it's it's again it's a cultural impetus. It's like witches. It's like Shakespeare didn't really understand witches. He'd never met a witch, but probably. they're used as a plot device. Yeah, and I feel like that's kind of the the weight that carries. This. How does the Bible or the church? approach the idea of ghosts i don't think it does it doesn't it says that they can't exist their spirits yeah. are either in hell and heaven or right. purgatory so that also seems like a bit of a well it's it's again yeah it's the folklore stuff of yes that's come down so exactly. it, it does feel a religious even more so in that right way. yeah okay it it's odd it it's, is odd. It's one of those plays where it's like this should be a big deal um but it winds up being not very big of a deal right yeah right if I longer stay, we shall begin our ancient bickerings. So today's ancient bickerings, I think, um, is going to be a good one because it's the central question. I think everybody has written a paper on this at some point or another. Is Hamlet actually crazy? Does he go mad? Or is it all just an act? Um, the way we looked at it, we figured there were 
three possibilities. Aiden claims there's a fourth. Yes, which I will go into. That he he is chosen. Yes. So at least we know we're not choosing the same argument yes. here. Um, if you don't mind, may I go first? Yeah, with by this all one? means. Um, I think that Hamlet starts off playing crazy mm. and eventually is driven mad. Okay. I think that's a, a pretty common um, understanding. I don't think there are many people who earnestly believe that Hamlet is always teetering on the edge of his own sandy or that he is completely holding on to his sanity yeah, and and yeah. and making everything work right to the end of the play so i think at some point and i i would i would say it's probably around the time when rosencrantz and guildenstern yeah which we didn't even talk about <laughs> yeah, we the fact never that, that uh these two friends of his university chums have been enlisted by claudius to kill hamlet yeah. to arrange his murder and then hamlet deviously you know, changes the order so that it's Rosencrantz and Guildenstern who will be killed when they get to England. Um, it's, uh, I think it's around that point when the seriousness of everything, he's killed Polonius, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, thanks Tom, Tom, Tom Stoppard, yeah. uh, and then he comes back and Ophelia is dead and he has the confrontation with York's skull. There's just a deeper rumination about death and I think that is where eventually it leads to him uh with the the fencing fight mm-hmm. match whatever with Laertes and it's it's the precursor to his his death so I think that is I think he goes mad at that point and to the end of the play he is it's how I like to read it I don't have any textual support for this at all no so. and it, well and again it's one of those ones where you can't I I so my other interpretation I'm is very curious to hear this he starts off not crazy goes crazy winds up not crazy really yeah i think and i don't think it's a temporary psychosis thing i think it is literally um i think his madness is brought on by um that that the gertrude scene and the rosencrantz and gilderstern kind of section mm-hmm. is all um is simply from the the stress of uh Having killed Polonius? Yeah, exactly. I think I think it is mostly just like it's like the, a panic attack that he's yeah, just yeah. Basically, it's it's a very temporary thing, and it is just kind of uh, it's it's a remnant of thinking he's done his deed. It's it's the success of this, and then his father, when he finds out it's not real, he didn't kill Claudius; he killed Polonius instead. It's um, like the like, twig snaps. Yeah, and it's all well, done. Well, no, I think it's more just like his. He needed to see his father. To remind him, no, you didn't do it yet. Like right. th- this is this is just a test. This was your first test. This was your first murder. Now and you're you, ready you to get. You screwed it up. You screwed it up. But it was yeah, training wheels are off yeah, now. Yeah. Now you get to the real job. <laughs> um, but I feel like that break is integral to him eventually coming back and and seeing. I think the York scene. Uh, it's interesting again that it was cut from the 2000 version because I think it is probably the most important one. Uh, of all of Hamlet's major soliloquy mm-hmm. speeches, things are is him uh, grappling with the death of another, right? And, and again, maybe it's just me personally, but I've I've always viewed it as more he's worried about murder rather than his own death. Yeah, to be or not to be is suicide. No, 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 no. I think to be or one. not to be is about murder really? as well. Yeah, I've always kind of viewed it that way. Huh. I, I don't really don't know why. Um, but it's 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 grappling with the the moral weight of killing someone, ending a life, 
when you don't know what that means for that person. Every other punishment you can ever distill on someone, you can you can well, put them in prison and you can imagine what it's like to be in prison. You can you can't imagine cut off their hand is. for being a thief and you can imagine what that's like, but nobody knows what death is. And he's, he's grappling with it. And the fact that he's killed someone now, um, he's gone through this temporary like, holy shit, that was real, that happened. And now he's back in a place where he can he can do the final summation of it, of um, he was this he you know to be he's not to be not to be has been what he's chosen right York and is not York is not and there and I feel like having gone through that with Claudius having gone through that small break is what allows him to uh, fulfill his father's uh, thing and, and fight Laertes and kill him and the well, whole deal. And I would argue, okay, here's some textual evidence that, that supports my argument that I was All just, right. you know, thinking about. Because I disagree <laughs> with your, your reading of Yorick the, okay. because I think, I think he is thinking about suicide. He is thinking about what comes after death. And I think there is some question there and to be or not to be about uh, what, what happens to a soul when it's dead. Yeah. But the Yorick scene like I said, death is the great equalizer. Everybody who dies is the same. It doesn't matter anymore. I think he's come to terms yeah, at that point yeah, I agree. with his own his own mortality. <laughs> he's I think he's I think he's accepted that both. I, I'd argue it's both. I think it's I think it's like I've killed a man, I'm ready to die myself. Because Therefore, we're all gonna end up dust well, exactly. we're all gonna stopping be death, up bungholes. So I need to do what's right, which is uh, killing Claudius. And I think that's I think that is I think the the break in the middle is is integral to that. I think you can't sure. you can't really but I don't think it's I don't think it's a crazy idea to, to arrive but at I that think, place. I, I think, don't think it I think it okay, and that's fine, but I think <laughs> then what it what it what it shows is his recklessness in entering this fencing match. What do you call it? Yeah, I call it the fencing the, the duel I don't know yeah whatever yeah, it is Laertes yeah. challenges him and he, he goes through with it it's not he's not looking to kill Claudius at that point he's looking to kill he has no beef with Laertes Laertes has beef with him so it's it's not as I don't think it's a sane action to set himself up to I, I like think, he's, I think he's, he's ready to take everyone down the, or he's ready to like if he dies in this battle then he doesn't get to exact his revenge so yes. he's expecting to win yeah to kill someone who he has no because he's already killed Polonius he's like I've got yes. one death on my conscience I can you're, have 50 it doesn't matter absolutely I think that's a little bit of a crazy thing to think about I think that's no that's I think that's the that's, rational conclusion of that speech we're all gonna die anyways I've made peace with it now I've seen it. But I I've think gone through the edge. I've seen Ophelia dead now, and I've now, yeah. But making peace with it is not a sane thing. I think it is. <laughs> it's. I don't think it's a healthy way to approach it. I don't I think it's. I think. I that, think if you're if you're gonna if you're becoming a killer, it's probably the most rational right, and healthy way you're gonna do it. But you just said it yourself. You became a killer. That's not a sna- he, sane end. But is it the right thing he needs to be in order to fulfill his his filial duty? Like this is the this is the thing. This again, we're coming back to family at the end. It's like, what is right in this situation? The play will absolutely never fucking answer that. But just here, go back to Wittenberg. <laughs> again, the setting of yes. the whole Protestant Reformation yeah, right there. Yeah. And go back to school and and live your life. That's that. That's just, the that's the right way. If, yeah, if Claudius had just let him go back to school at the start of the play, right? None of this, this would have happened. But here we are, talking about it four hundred years later. 
I don't know if I agree with you. No, I don't agree with you either, but I, I like my interpretation. Well, I like my interpretation, well, so... Well, then that's just fine. Wow, I'm, I'm heated. I think you're so wrong, but I can't articulate it. I think we've gone too long. This is an hour and a this half long episode. This is a very episode. long episode. Again, so. it's a big play. <laughs> our apologies. Yeah. Uh, so what's next on our docket? Next, we have uh, Shakespeare Mental Health. Obviously, yeah. we timed it so that we could bring up the Hamlet discussion. Um, and a few others, I think we'll, we'll we'll do some character analysis, I think, is, is the yeah, way Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of an interesting thing to, to look at. Um, probably a little bit of the historical impetus for, for mental health treatments and, and mental health depictions on stage, um, but also what those characters represent to an Elizabethan audience and how they're interpreted today. Um, and Hamlet is just the natural starting point, I think, because there are so many... Um, it's very recognizable. Uh, and, yeah. And there is, it's a big part of the plot. Yeah. You know, is, is, he, is he mad and so forth? So, yeah. And then the next play after that is Twelfth Night. Twelfth Night. Which will be sort of appropriate considering when, when it's coming out. It's a little bit after the actual uh, Feast of Epiphany, I believe, is the end of Twelfth Night. The Twelfth Night celebrations after yeah. Christmas. Yeah. Um, but we've got that to look forward to. I feel like Hamlet is a very Christmassy play. Do you not get that? I, I always pictured them like they're on holiday from... It's Christmas holidays. That's why they're on yeah, break yeah. from, from I, university. Plus Denmark's kind of snowy and like... They have yeah. red and white as their their flag don't they yeah yeah so it's like yeah, kind of Christmassy true. colors it's Santa Claus I like it I, I think it's appropriate that this is our deep Christmas uh, deep Christmas cut as it were get chatting is that how we're ending it You can find all our episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast fix. If you want to tell us what you think of Shakespeare, his plays, poems, or any of the topics we discuss, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us on Twitter, that's at TheBixPod, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TheBixPod, or by email at TheBixPod at gmail.com. That's our cue to exit.